0: This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love
1: Said Match. I mean, Andre Agassi had this goal. You don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court, Like, You have to be better than someone that's across the net.
2: I think you've got to stay active in a sports sense you know go out there do some sports i think it always makes you feel better maybe you're more tired in the very moment but actually the rest of the day feels better and then i think giving back as well you know making other people happy is going to get, give you
3: a good feeling too
0: welcome to tennis pal chronicles the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis i am your host philip kim And I'm also known as Coach PK, the tennis pro for the Langham Huntington Hotel in sunny Southern California. As you know, Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, the best app to find people to play tennis with. Visit tennispal.com to download the app today. I'm so excited. As you can hear in my voice, my wonderful co-host Valerie is back. She's fresh off a plane from Europe and experiencing the French Open. Valerie Garcia, how are you?
1: I am well, Mr. Philip Kim. How are
0: you? (laughs) I'm so good, but I can't wait to hear what your experience was like you were there at the french open this is and of course this is our french open recap so perfect timing i can't wait to hear everything you have to to share about it
1: fantastic i can't wait to to share and then also i'll throw in a little surprise i
0: love the surprise so you were there for how many days and and what was it like
1: well, I actually was only there one day at the French Open because I waited so long to buy tickets that I could only afford one day. <laughs> and um, uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into going through a third-party seller. So what I got was one ticket to Philip Chatrier and... Um, I, I spent like all night the night before going through the whole schedule and like mapping out the, the matches I wanted to see thinking, um, cause at like at the U S open, if you get a ticket for Arthur Ashe, you can go into any other stadium as well, including Louis Armstrong right. or, or any same, of them. Same so I was Indian thinking Wells, I was going to, so go, right. exactly, exactly. Right. Like Indian Wells, you have main stadium, you can go to any court. So I was expecting that I have Philip Chatrier. I should be able to go to any court. That is not how it is there. Uh, if you have Philip Chatrier, you have Philip Chatrier. You cannot go into Suzanne Longlin or some Oh, too. wow. So you can go onto any of the outer courts though. So basically, um, I didn't find that out yet. I'll tell you what happened is I spent my whole night before like mapping out all the matches for the next day. And I was like, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there and I'm going to see this person. And I had like this whole little schedule. And then I showed up. Oh, gosh. I was there like two hours early from when the doors opened because <laughs> I was like so excited. Yeah. And so I basically got there and sat sat outside for two hours. <laughs> and then when I finally got in, um, it, w- it was great. Like I walked in and the, they handed me like a little Roland girls duffel bag and a newsletter. And, and uh, they gave me a wristband because I was like uh, the ticket I got had some sort of access to. Um, like a cafe there um, that had unlimited food and drinks that I don't drink alcohol and I don't eat uh, certain things, right? I have a restrictive diet. Oh, no, where was I I Basically
0: unlimited drinks?
1: I know. (laughs) I was like, uh, this would be so great for like a normal person, but I guess every time I wanted, I guess, bottled water or coffee, I could go get that there so that's kind of what I did is I would just go over there and get like a coffee a coffee or uh a water um they actually had some good sparkling water too (laughs) but so that was what my ticket had I walk onto the grounds I'm like overwhelmed with obviously like just the most excitement right being the crazy tennis fan that I am and who do i see boom like right in front of me right when i walk in it's sam stoser like stretching oh like gosh. just standing there on the in the walkway <laughs> um, out out with the people and i'm like oh my gosh so i of course i take like a really awkward selfie with her <laughs> Uh, not she didn't know right she's just like doing her thing and I'm over there taking like a selfie with her in the background and I love uh,
0: (laughs) that picture that you sent to me it was so awesome but it was so (laughs) weird because she was doing this weird stretch so it looked like one of her foot was broken or something it was totally turned like the opposite way that a normal person's foot would be or something
1: I know I when I saw I think you pointed that out and I was like oh gosh oh well I That was the only one I took. No, but it was just
0: amazing that you got to see because she's one of your all-time faves.
1: Oh, yes. I love Sam Stoser. So I was super excited. I was like, what an omen. Like, I walk in. Today's going to be amazing. Like, this is how the day's starting. And uh, I said, hey, Sam, I love you. Good job. You know, good luck or whatever. You said that to her. And then... Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, she was just, like, right there, and there was nobody really in there yet because I was one of the first people since I had been there two hours to get in. Um, And then I'm, like, just wandering around checking out the grounds. Uh, I wanted to get a sweater because it was a little bit um, overcast, and I only had my Roger T-shirt on. So I walked over, got myself a nice Roland Garros uh, sweater, And then I was like wandering around trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I noticed that Sam was uh, practicing on a practice court. So I was like, oh, I'll go, I'll go watch her practice. By the time I got over there, I think practice was ending. Oh, and I saw Renee Stubbs. So I was like, oh yeah, Renee's here. (laughs) Um, So I kind of watched them practice for a little bit and then I, I, they were leaving. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go like wander over there because I want to tell Renee Stubbs like that. I love her podcast. And, uh because she has my third favorite podcast. Is that podcast. the racket? Uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I listen yeah. to it too. Yeah. Um yeah, it's so it's so good. I love that one. They're so uh free with the way they speak. Well, and know? they have so much
0: insider <laughs> access, you know. They're they're talking about things that no one would ever know because it's all behind the scenes.
1: Exactly. It's uh it's a great it's a great tennis podcast for sure. So I wanted to tell her that. So anyway, I walked over and um as she walked out, I was like, Renee, I just wanted to tell you I love your podcast. And she was like, oh, thank you. You know, I was like, good luck How to you guys nice. in this tournament. How nice. And so I was like, yay, everything's great. And then it was like, okay, it's 11 a.m. The first match is about to start on Suzanne Longland. I'm about to head over. And I walk over and they're like, yeah, you can't come in here. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, no. So I'm like, okay, can I go to Simone Mattu? And they're like, no, you can only go to Philippe Chatrier or the outer courts. And I was like, oh, man. So uh, the Philippe Chatrier match didn't start until noon. So I was like, okay, once again, I have like an hour to go. So who were you trying to Um, see? Do you remember? Honestly, I think I was trying to see John Isner um, because he was playing a French player. And the day before he had his first round, He had, maybe not the day before, the round before, (laughs) he played a French man and it went five sets. He had a hard time and he joked with them in the press conference after, like, I um, I know I'm playing a French person, but like, hopefully you guys will root for me a little bit next time, you know? And so I really wanted to go and like cheer for him. But I could not get in. And then there were, um, gosh, I can't remember who else was that, playing. Th- there was some other. Coco Gauff, I think, was oh, playing wow. somewhere.
0: I bet that was sold so. So I wanted
1: to go. Uh, yeah, it was like Simone Matu or Suzanne Longlin also. And I, I just couldn't get in those courts. So there was one match that was on like court four or seven, some random court that I did want to see. It was Anna Samova. And she was also playing some French person who I don't know uh, or don't remember. um, Not like a top 50 player. Um, And the line was so long to get in, Philip. And I don't, you know, like at Indian Wells, if you want to go to an outer court, there's like seven or eight different, there's like eight different entrances, right? Like two on each of the big sides and then one on each end of the court to get in. um, This... These courts, all their outer courts had one entrance and they were side by side with another court. So if 7 and 8 were next to each other. To get into 7 or 8, it was one wow. line. And there was one opening. So the lines were super long. I must have waited like an hour or 45 minutes and I didn't even get like h- halfway to the oh opening. Oh my gosh. The ma- the match was about to be over and I was like I'm, like, actually missing tennis somewhere else, like, to try and get in here. So I just kind of gave up. A lot of people get, gave up. You could see people, like, leaving uh, the line. So I basically just decided I was going to go sit in Philip Chatrier and enjoy the three matches that I got. Um, and so the three matches I got were uh, – I got Kerber and Elsa Giacomo. Uh-huh. Um. Which was, it was a cool match. It was the first match of the day. Um, Kerber did well. She won. I was excited to see Kerber. I, I like her. Um, and she's technically, right, she's won all the slams besides the French. So <laughs> had her run went different, she could have been going for a grand slam. <laughs> well, she she did Obviously, make it to the she, third round she didn't, at least. Yeah, she did. Third round is not quite that close to the Grand Slam, right. I guess. <laughs> and she
0: lost to Sasnovich, the girl we were talking about last time. Yeah.
1: Yes, good memory. Because Sasnovich is the one who took a set off of Schwantek, right? Right. Um, like this year, <laughs> one of the few to give her a run for her money. Right, um, and the
0: Chinese player Zhang also did at Roland Garros actually had a chance. I feel like you know.
1: Oh yeah, but she got injured.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean she was really playing well, and of course got injured. But I think that was like the closest kind of scare, you know.
1: Oh, for sure. I think uh, she for, got for a little. Iga, I mean. She got a little get out of jail free card there. <laughs> uh, kind of like Nadal did, I think. Right was Zverev? <laughs> but uh,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, anywho, so the second match was Zverev and uh, Sebastian Baez. And Zverev so almost lost. you got to see lost. Zverev? Yeah, and he almost oh, wow. lost. He had a match point against him. And let me tell you, the crowd was very pro-Baez. Um, and I actually was sitting next to a lovely couple from Salt Lake City, Utah. And so we were <laughs> chit-chatting and we were actually talking about, because we were both very uh, heartily rooting for Baez, and I kind of asked them why, and they basically shared my sentiments. Just basically, uh, Zverev's a, a tough person to root for at the moment, considering he's on under investigation for domestic abuse and also on probation for being a total uh, hothead on the court and almost hitting a chair umpire with his racket. Um, yeah. So basically, I think, like, the crowd knew that. And then also, probably were just going for the underdog as they tend to do. Right. Because it was definitely a pro bias crowd. Um, but Zverev did pull through and, as we know, made it all the way to the semis um, before that horrible scene. Um,
0: yeah, that was just awful. And he screamed so loud when he turned his ankle. Um, and of course there's all these like slow motion videos now (laughs) of that whole scene. It's like, oh, the worst thing a tennis player can see is seeing another tennis player getting injured like that, you know?
1: Yeah. And in hindsight, knowing now what what we know about Nadal's foot, the zombie foot, as they call it, or the dead foot, um, there's so much risk for the way Nadal played the entire tournament that he could have had that happen. So yeah. it's it's crazy that he managed to make it through the tournament without doing that to himself. Um,
0: Is and- it crazy though? That's what I wonder. You know, it's like ghost foot or gaslit foot, <laughs> because the whole time I was believing him that the you know like he was saying in the press conferences, oh, this could be my last tournament, especially right before he played Djokovic. Uh, you know, this could be my very last match at Roland Garros you know how he totally downplays his chances and oh I'm I'm the underdog and you know I don't have a prayer and you know of course Djokovic's playing so well so I was like wow Djokovic's gonna win this
1: (laughs) yeah and and they gave them the night match which the conditions favor Djokovic so I had Djokovic fully written in to the final as well or the semifinals. sorry and and so
0: was this the first Nadal night match ever
1: no, it wasn't. Oh, sorry. Uh I don't know cuz I forgot this year is the first official night match. The first. Yeah. But I mean he's obviously played the last match of the day, which is th- the same time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um so it's not like his first match at the end of at this time of the day, but it yeah. might it might have been his first official. No, 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 it wasn't. I know because he played the night match the day I was there, which was round two. Um, And I was super bummed that they put him on the night match and not the day schedule because then I would have got to see Nadal at the French Open. And uh, and that was pretty much – I mean obviously I wanted to see the French – I wanted to go regardless. But what I was trying to accomplish was to see Nadal in France, right, in Paris. Like that's what you want to – you want to see 14-time title holder.
4: So always is a special feeling.
0: Right, he's king of the court, so of course you want to see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, for all we know, they might name Philip Chat- rename Philip Chatrier, <laughs> Raphael Nadal, no. Um, I mean,
0: they absolutely should.
1: Right? I I he doubt de- they would he because he's because he's not French and that does right. not seem like a very French thing to do and I feel like I understand the French. Uh, a little bit better after my visit <laughs> <laughs> and uh, accommodating for anyone else is not anything they give a crap to do
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> well talk a little bit about your actual ambiance and the experience of you know being there and what was it like like you know what would I have seen
1: well it's it's beautiful so first off just Paris in general is probably the most i mean i haven't been anywhere so why i'm saying like these grand statements that really don't don't <laughs> hold any weight just so for those of you who don't know me i haven't really traveled <laughs> very uh far um <laughs> around the globe or anything but paris was absolutely the most beautiful place ever and it was very much evident that they care about the grounds as well like it was so I have been to Indian Wells I've been to the U.S. Open and the spoiler the surprise was I went to Wimbledon while I was there as well so I'll get to that but so I've, I've been to the U.S. Open the French Open Wimbledon and Indian Wells uh four out of five majors
0: Wow, you only as need sick, one
1: more. Call, yeah, call, I'm calling Indian Wells a major even though it isn't. I've been to many <laughs> many other smaller tennis tournaments as well. But considering like the big four to five like tournaments, yeah, uh, it was unbelievably like beautiful. Um, the way that actually uh, Philip Chatrier, the court, was or no was it f- yeah it was it it was just so pretty it was it was stunning like the architecture was really cool they had like a garden over on the side like to get to simone matua you have to walk like i don't know a quarter of a mile through a gar a beautiful garden like you think you're i don't know you don't think you're at a tennis tournament um as you're walking you're like you think you've like exited and, and you're going somewhere Sounds else like
0: the getty or something
1: Yeah, it was really nice. Everything was beautiful. It was really small. Um, Like, compared to going to Indian Wells, it's very, very small in comparison. Um, Oh, wow. The merchandise store, however, was the biggest I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, It was like underground. You walk down some stairs, and it's underground, (laughs) and it's huge. It was wow. it was a, a sight to behold. I was like, oh my gosh, I want one of everything. I had to really contain myself. Um,
0: <laughs> I know you bought a Roland Garros hat, right? Because I saw that in a picture.
1: I did. I did. And then I bought the a sweater as well. The sweater, right. Um, and then I wanted to buy all kinds of things, but I didn't. Um, I did get you something, but I actually got you something from Wimbledon, but it's a surprise, oh so I'm not gonna tell you. Oh my you.
0: gosh! Thank you so much.
1: Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I, I couldn't decide if I wanted to go with uh which one I wanted to go with, but they did what I wanted to get you. They didn't have like Aww. the style I wanted um, there, so
0: anything, anything is so nice of you. I I love the little accent of the black and white stripe. Is that is that the pull? Uh, is that the pull stripe from the jacket, or what is that?
1: I actually don't know what you're referencing.
0: Oh, I'm just looking at you at a picture on Center Court in Wimbledon, but you're wearing the Roland Garros jacket, and it has like a black and white, almost like a scarf, but I think it's just the strings that you pull for the jacket. Is that right?
1: It probably is the strings, yeah. The strings had like, I think they were black and white um, striped,
0: yeah, I love that black and white stripe. I mean, it has that uh, Chanel feel, you know.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. Co- it's a cool jacket. I mean, I paid like way too much for it. Um, <laughs> I was, and then I went, I bought it at a stand, and then I went into the underground merch store and was like, oh, I saw like ten thousand jackets, and was like, Dang it! Why did I get it over there? But it is still very nice. It is a nice jacket. Um, it's Lacoste, and. Uh, it was look costly. Like I think it was Ah. uh, $130 or 130 euros, which means it was, I don't even want to know how much that is.
0: Wow. Because
1: so before that, my most expensive tennis gear was my $90 Roger Federer Nike jacket from the U S open. Um, and so I thought that was a lot, but it was worth it right for the RF. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. But but
1: yeah, this one had nothing. It just had Roland Garros and I spent, oh oh my gosh, I spent so much money. But I think I spent, I did that the entire trip. I was just like, whatever, I'm on vacation. Just just swiping away like a crazy person.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, I'm so glad you had such a great time.
1: Yeah, it was, it was super cool. So, I mean, the grounds, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. it, smaller than, you know, Indian Wells or the US Open or Wimbledon, I think. About maybe the same size as Wimbledon. They were both You know, they say like everything's bigger in America. It's just so true. We just do everything so big. Uh So everything over there was like bite-size. No. <laughs> wow.
0: And did you feel because the dollar is so strong right now, did you feel that there was a good exchange, and and it was kind of a good time to go, or was just everything la costly, like you said.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have anything to reference since I've never traveled out of the country before. This is my first, uh, hoorah! Yeah. Um, but I would say no, it, it did not feel like our dollar was strong, considering, um, you know, or maybe it is, does mean that the dollar is strong. Basically, if you know, for anything I saw that was $10 or $20, you know, it was 15 or 28. Um, So I just had to look at price tags and say, it's more right. Yeah. Um, Does that mean that our dollar's strong? My brain is not uh, able to make that discernment right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you had such a great time. That's amazing. And uh, I think those purchases are worth it because they're just once in a lifetime kind of deals. And and what about Nicholas? You haven't talked at all about Nicholas. Did he not go with you?
1: Oh, oh no. I, I went alone. Yeah.
0: So uh, he didn't he didn't want to go see Nadal or Roland Garros? So always is a special
4: feeling.
1: Well, uh, no, I'm sure he did. But like I said, they were sold out. So I, oh, I, I you know, I paid a week's salary or more for my ticket. So.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Um, yeah.
1: I don't know that it was on his bucket list as much as it was for me, right um right to to basically pay like five times or more that's the original sticker amount
0: right um, gotcha
1: because I think the tickets were like eighty pounds if you bought them like you bought them directly from the venue huh. but since I went with a third party seller, I paid five five or six times more than that. Um, wow, and I, wow. I, I believe I don't want to speak for him, but I believe he just it was not worth, <laughs> worth paying that much. Also, knowing that we had no idea if who we were going to see, right? right? I mean, and and in hindsight, I'm I'm glad he didn't because he wouldn't have saw Nadal, right? right? Which didn't. is
0: the only reason he would go, probably.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe not the only reason he would go, but the only reason he would spend six times the amount, right? Right. Right. Um, yeah. So as much as I did love the French Open and it was, it was gorgeous. Oh, and the third match I saw was the one I was most excited for. It was Belinda Bencic and uh, Bianca Andreescu. And I was like, yes, please sign me up. And it was horrible. Really? It was so bad. So first of all, Zverev and Baez went five sets. It was a thriller right before that. So when... It was a three, four-hour match. They right. they leave. The whole crowd leaves to go get dinner, lunch, whatever, bathroom, you know. Uh, it's so, so by long. It's, yeah. So by the time Belinda and Bianca came on, it, like, half the crowd, more than half the crowd is gone. It's a very empty stadium. You can hear, the pol- like, the flags hitting the poles. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was like a – it was a desert. So that, that was suck- – that sucked because the, you know, the energy of, of the stadium was gone. And then – Belinda, you know when Belinda just decides like I'm gonna win a gold medal or you know whatever she's gonna do and she's gonna be unbeatable.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm just not gonna hit an error at all. I'm just gonna crack winners like crazy. She was in that mood and um, Belinda's style is she you knows she takes the ball early right And so she just robs the opponent of time and if she's on like there's just nothing you can do. And she was on, and Bianca could not get into the match. The crowd was 90% for Bianca and trying to, you know, will her into the match. And she was trying to get into it, but it was, like, done in, like, an hour. It was so quick. Um, She basically lost quite badly. (laughs) So the the highlight, my send-off, was I noticed, like, one section over was Bianca's mom and her dog, Coco, So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to, like, sneak over there and take a little secret selfie with them in the background. So I totally did. Um, And then I was like, okay, I feel a little bit better. (laughs) 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 I totally, like, if Bianca had not lost, I would have asked her, like, can I pet the dog? (laughs) Or at least, like, take a picture or something. But since, like, her team was obviously super bummed. I didn't. Right. I not want to be like interacting with them
0: all rudely. So right. Um, well, I I love her play. I love her as a person, and and so I was really following that match, and I was very sad too. She, I think she lost six two six four or something. I was really hoping a lot for her because she. I think this year, no, last year she joined forces with Sven Groneveld. The coach, I feel like he is such a great coach that he he offers a lot to his players. And I think he was working with uh, Sabalenka before that and really helped her game tremendously. Mm -hmm. So I was really hopeful for Bianca this year. Maybe maybe it's to come, you know. I think she could be really lethal at Wimbledon. So with her game style and her variety and stuff, um, we'll see.
1: We shall see. I think she probably fancies herself more of a hardcourt specialist. Yes. But uh, yes. I, I hope she does make a good run at Wimbledon. I'm just, I'm, I'm really just glad that she's healthy and playing. You know,
0: right? Because she is really interesting and fun to watch. I mean, she really mixes it up and has a lot of variety. Very creative player.
1: Yeah, I, I think if I had to choose my number one favorite player to watch you know, for the past two or three years it, it would definitely be on Andreescu. Um just in terms of like because her style of game is so different and fun to watch. Yeah. But, well, yeah. since
0: we're talking about the women, we might as well talk about the champion, Iga. And uh, I guess you didn't get to see her play, though.
1: I didn't get to see her play. And you know what? I didn't get to see anyone else on practice courts besides Sam Stoser either. So,
0: Was it just so crowded?
1: It was very crowded. It was, yeah. And so anytime I would like walk by, it, it was like a long line to get into anywhere. And considering I only had like one day, I didn't want to spend it in a bunch Aww. of lines. But Yes, Iga, the unbeatable. She
0: is so dominant right now. And I, I'm totally falling in love with how fun she is as a person. And I, I watch a whole bunch of videos that were like, Iga Shwantek as a meme for four minutes straight.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. You'll have to send me that link.
0: Yeah, because she just is so fun and quirky and kind of like she's so serious and obviously an incredible champion, but like she, she's very down to earth in the way that she like treats herself and, and the things that she does and even the things that she says, like in interviews and stuff. And it's just very cute. I just love the way she is.
1: She's a very Nadal-esque, um, by design, right? She's, he's a big idol of hers, but she has a lot of his qualities, I think, in terms of the humility and the, the effort.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree and and what is it about her game that allows her to be so incredibly dominant? I mean, you can say maybe she got to number 1 just by Barty, you know, stepping down, but there's no doubt now that she is the most dominant woman's player right now. She's now has a 35 match winning streak which ties uh Venus Williams and it's the longest since 2000 she's actually surpassed Serena Williams streak of 34 which everybody made you know a big deal of but I just think it just says wow she is just on fire right now you know
1: she really is and actually before Barty retired she had already won like two or three tournaments I think two tournaments and then Barty retired and then she just kept kept it going I'm hoping that she's going to beat uh, the all-time streak record. Uh, Martina Navratilova had like a 70-something match win streak. <laughs> oh so I'm, I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> dream dream how big.
0: It, how does that even happen? That's incredible. Well, some of her other statistics are that Iga has now won 18 consecutive sets in finals and has not lost more than five games in her last nine finals. I mean, it's incredible.
1: I love it. I love yeah. it. I'm I am all about anyone who's just a ruthless competitor, <laughs> and and then also like you said, like a total gem of a human, out, right. outside, like off the court,
0: right. And I really feel like. Uh, her, she's kind of reinventing tennis in the same way that Nadal did. Obviously, Nadal did it with topspin, and you know it completely changed the game the way that he would hit the ball. Uh, and so everybody wanted to learn how to hit with topspin. And when I analyze uh, Iga's play, I mean her swing is so short and so compact. She actually has a bent arm as she swings forward you know, completely different than Federer with the full extended straight arm forehand that everybody said was like the liquid whip, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, hers is so different, and she has enough topspin to keep it in, but it's not Nadal-esque. She really is just kind of driving the ball forward. I wouldn't call it flat. It's a nice mix of flat and topspin, but it's so short that she doesn't need time to set up and hit her shot she can just kind of like whip herself around the ball and she seems to be able to do it on the forehand and backhand side so kind of amazing you know
1: yeah and uh i mean honestly it reminds it reminds me of like Djokovic, not in terms of the stroke production um but the effect the effect of her style of play on others um the fact that she makes everything look really easy and she, it looks like she gets really easy power as well.
3: Um,
1: yeah. It, it looks like – not easy power. Um, it's like disguised power. Like it doesn't look like she's cracking the, you know, whatever out of the ball. The same way that Djokovic – you don't watch Djokovic and think he's like the hardest hitter. But when, right. you, when you see his stats of how hard he – fast he hits the ball, he actually – right does really hit the ball hard. Um, But he just makes it look so – like he just – the way he he does it, it doesn't seem that way. Um, And I feel like I have a lot of the same awe when I watch Iga in terms of like it doesn't look like as devastating as it is, but then she uses those angles so beautifully that all of a sudden, like it's just like two shots later and they're just nowhere – You know, she has this open court so easily it seems –
0: Right. Well, and I I feel like the emotion of the final was also the added excitement about Coco Golf and her actually making her first, you know, final of a Grand Slam. And everybody really kind of rooting for her. When I was watching Twitter and people were voting, I would say it was split 50 50. Uh, maybe all of the Americans wanted Coco Golf to win, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I was really surprised how many people were in Coco's camp and really thought that she could win. Um, I was really doubtful that she could win. This is her first ever Grand Slam tournament, she's only 18. Um, but, you know, there was a moment in the second set where Goff did go up, you know, 2-0 in the second, and maybe that was, like, the only time that I saw Swiantek maybe rattled, you know, a little bit and just kind of maybe worried, but, you know, it's like she just kicked it into another gear just like Nadal would or Federer or Djokovic, and then she just rattled off uh, five straight games and, you know, didn't look back, you know? Yeah. So I thought what was really interesting was listening to Coco Goff and t- and hearing her analyze uh, Iga Schmielte's game. So let's listen to that right now.
3: I wasn't as nervous really um, entering the match. Um, I mean, obviously when I lost the first couple of games, um, the nerves started to come. But when I lost the first set, um, I really came out in the second and had a new mindset. Um but I think uh for the most part, I think that ego was just too good today. Um I mean it's one of those matches like that yes, I am some moments could have played better, but she really didn't give me anything every time I thought I had a good ball. It wasn't. Um but there was a reason why she's on a winning streak and um I'm just glad that um I really I really tried my best today. I didn't really think about the statistics or record going into the match of of my opponent. I think um, even if I played someone else who probably wasn't, you know, on a winning streak or whatever, I think I would have been just as nervous and believed just as much. Um, But I think that she does a good job of taking the pressure moments and really um, rising to the occasion. And today she rose to the occasion. And um, I do that pretty well too. Um, But, today she was just on another level
0: yeah so again wow Iga so dominant and you know 73 percent first serves in 72 percent win rate on first serves five out of 10 break point chances she won and just 16 unforced errors against Coco 16 yeah Oh my gosh, you don't have a chance with those kind of stats, you know?
1: Yeah, she's just uh, she's just amazing. Between she her is. between her and Nadal, they were like trying to have a competition: of who can lose like less <laughs> less games, who could be m- more of a I don't know, destroyer of souls.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, one thing I want to point out that I started to notice because I'm really thinking: what is it about her game that is so good? And I really feel like she moves to the ball quicker than most any other player. And what I mean by that is, like the, by the time the opponent hits the ball, she's already reading it, she's already moving, and she gets there with tons of time to prep and set up. She doesn't ever, to me, look like she's really on the stretch and really in trouble and you know, just having a hard time. She's always moving so fast to the ball and then just waiting to set up her shot, which gives her the time to decide, I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go cross court. You know, I'm going to whip tons of spin or I'm going to go deep. So she, it seems like she's just building so much time for herself because she's so quick to the ball. So watch that the next time you uh, see her play or you know, watch the highlights. I just was so impressed how quickly she gets to the place that she needs to be.
1: Yes. Uh, again, I think that's one of the things that reminds me of Djokovic. For her, I feel yeah. like I feel like he's the same. Part of that is just like anticipation, too, right? Right. Just uh, the the great mind of of knowing patterns and your opponent's patterns in certain situations. I have to imagine. I think like uh, Rodwansko was a person that they used to always say had such great anticipation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it just makes me hurt for someone like a. It makes me think of um, the biggest server in women's tennis.
1: Oh, um, Pliskova.
0: Pliskova, thank you. <laughs> and it just makes me think of Pliskova and just like seeing her move versus Iga Schwantek, you know? <laughs> I mean, it just hurts to, to think about that because. With Pliskova, I feel like she's always just just barely late and just getting there. And if they move around enough, she's like, you know, kind of lobbing the ball back, slicing the ball back very, very easy, easily for them to set up. And, and Iga Schwantek never gives you that. She never gives you that, like, I'm in trouble. You can be aggressive and take my shot, you know? Yeah. And even if she does for, like, one shot, she turns it around so quickly. Like... Okay, she's in trouble, one shot, and then you put it somewhere, and she's already there, and boom, she's on the aggression again, and she's in the right place again. And it's just like, wow. It's, it's so, amazing. so
1: amazing. Sometimes even, even like the one shot that she's in trouble, she somehow has like this amazing ability to, to be aggressive when she's defending.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, Which to
1: me reminds, again, just so much of it reminds me of Djokovic where I'm just like in awe. Um, yeah. or or like Nadal I'd say mostly like on clay right where he's just doing these things that are just how do kind of like Alcaraz was doing this tournament who we haven't talked about at all yeah these these feats these <laughs> shots these amazing things
0: right tennis is so amazing i feel like it's just getting bigger and bigger in the way that it's being played and and yet here we are 15 years later and Nadal at 36 is still King. How, right?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I mean let, let's wax poetic on on Rafael Nadal because he deserves it. I mean, what do you think?
1: I'm so glad. I mean I'm full full blown rooting for him, you know. If Fed's gone, he's he's my number 2. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. And I I really have said now I I feel easily to say Rafael Nadal is the goat. There's just no question now. The way that he beat Djokovic uh, in that match, and you just you could see the life draining out of Novak's face as he was like, "I can't beat this guy." You know, it was just incredible. And I realize it's the surface as well, and that you know Nadal has such tremendous confidence on this surface. But just the fact that he could pull it off, you know, I mean, it, I really expected Djokovic to be so much more dominant, especially after winning Rome uh, and, you know, starting to peak and and playing great matches. And then he meets, I feel like, the tsunami that Nadal is.
1: Yes. But I think like, even Djokovic winning Rome, it's the best of three sets. He was actually struggling with fitness for some of the three sets he hasn't played for a lot of the year. Um, I don't buy too much into it. I mean, I think Nadal is the goat just based on where they stand right now, but I still think when they retire, I, if I had money to bet, I would put it that Djokovic will um, cement. I still do believe that he will cement himself um, somewhere above Nadal when all is said and done provided there's no major injury that, keeps him from playing because I think he could play and be a force for two or three years to come. Um, But that being said, he might not even get to play like the U S open or Australia again. Right. So, you know, maybe he won't get the opportunities and maybe Nadal will um, end, end with more grand slams, which, you know, we'll see what happens, but I do think there's something to be said about the fact that that um, Djokovic, I think I I don't I don't know I'm not looking at stats right now but I feel like he has winning records against both Fed and Nadal and I feel like uh, and probably Murray too if he, we wanted to put him in the conversation that he shouldn't be in but people still put him in. Um, um, <laughs> He had to come up while they were dominating everything and figure out a way. Um, And to me, that just means something, right? Because nobody else was able to do that. Like, Stan and Andy got three and four, right? Or three and three. Um, Marin gets one. Like, we have the one-offs, but, like, the fact that Djokovic is able to get to 20... In the midst of – so I heard a stat, and I don't know if it's true, on the tennis podcast yesterday, that when Federer was at 16, Djokovic was at one.
0: Wow. A- at
1: some point in the race, Federer was at 16 and Djokovic was at one. And that means Nadal was probably about eight or nine or something, right? And yeah. like Djokovic had to come up and make something of himself in the midst of them being the – big two, right? He like made it the big three. Um but again, if if he look if he goes away and Alcaraz and Medvedev and Sitsipas and Zverev and whoever like start beating him, I'll I will happily be like, you're right, Nadal. But uh my personal opinion is that <laughs> is that Djokovic <laughs> will prevail. Yeah. Um him like in the test in the overall in their overall careers. Um, yeah, and, and I think that his stats will prove that he was also just better on uh, more consistently. Because look, I do, I do think Nadal. I would actually put him above Federer easily, um, just based on their head to head. Let alone like the fact that he beat him in Grand Slams too. But um, and the fact that Nadal has probably more Masters than both of them as well. Um, I, I will. I'm not trying to take away from Nadal at all because I he is. The greatest and he, for sure right now he is the greatest uh but 14 of the 22 are at one tournament so he's the greatest clay court player if you take f- the f- that 14 away from him it's just if like if you took their dominant surface or their dominant tournament away from them it would be a little more lopsided is all i'm saying yeah. Right. Um,
0: Let me read some of these Wikipedia stats because fantastic. obviously I, did, I didn't have it in my head, but it's I think it's fascinating. So, uh, the whole rivalry between Djokovic and Nadal, they faced each other 59 times now, uh, including all four major finals, with Djokovic leading marginally 30 29. Djokovic leads 15 13 in finals overall while Nadal leads 11-7 in matches at majors. Nadal leads 8-2 at the French Open (laughs) and 2-1 at the US Open, which is really surprising. Oh, wow,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, while Djokovic leads 2-0 at the Australian Open and 2-1 at Wimbledon. To date, Djokovic is the only player to have beaten Nadal in all four majors. Of their 59 matches, 27 have been on hardcourt, 28 have been on clay, four have been on grass, Nadal leads on clay twenty to eight, while Djokovic leads on hardcourt twenty to seven, and they're tied on grass two to two.
1: That's a quite a even matchup there.
0: Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's a lot closer than I thought uh as I was listening to you, and then when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh nadal is right there it's just kind of amazing but i do feel also that you know they're getting up in years you feel like nadal is so much older but he's actually only 36 and and djokovic's actually 35 years old now Mm -hmm. so the question is like you said is he going to disqualify himself from the grand slam counts because of his philosophy and his beliefs I mean, the French was like the biggest chance he had to win this year uh, because it was one of the only ones that was going to let him play.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So
0: the fact that he lost that chance is is horrible for his stats this year because I can't imagine he gets into Wimbledon and it doesn't even count anymore. Right. Uh, And then what about U.S. Open? I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with the count going up now
1: yeah i mean and then i guess it it depends on nadal as well right i think if nadal's new experimental foot treatment or whatever this radioactive stuff that's happening if it works i, I hope it works because then i really hope that i'm wrong and i hope that nadal gets to like 25 <laughs> but you know i guess i'm i'm feeling like a. Maybe I, mean, I'm, I Maybe I'm listening to Nadal too much because Nadal yeah. seems to think like it's very far fetched that his foot is going to be have have any sort of reprieve. And if I his, mean, it's, if it's, if his it's foot Robbie doesn't get better, he might retire. Like he, I,
0: I, I really feel like it's like a stub toe, and he's saying my foot's falling off. You know, I it's like, I
1: really actually think <laughs> the complete opposite. <laughs> and I think that the majority might agree with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I know, I know it's bad. I know it's something, but I just also know that Nadal always plays up his injuries much bigger than they ever. I mean, come on! Like, l- 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 you should have heard Djokovic talk about like, no, he he was not injured when I was playing him <laughs> in this interview. Okay, I'll play it.
1: Well, oh, that's, play that that's clip right like now. Djokovic saying that, but let's hear it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations to to Nadal. He was a better player, I think, in important moments. Started started very well. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't start so so great. Six two three love double breakdown. I was uh, gaining momentum as I was coming back in the second set. Uh, managed managed to win the second set, and I thought, okay, you know, I'm back in the game. But then he had another, you know, two three fantastic games at the beginning of the third. He was just uh, able to uh, take his tennis uh, to, to another level in those particularly uh, moments of the beginning of, the, of all sets, actually, except the fourth. I had my chances, you know, I had my chances on in the fourth, served for the set, couple of set points. Uh, yeah, uh, just uh, one or two shots, could have uh, taken me into fifth, and then it's really anybody's match. Um, but again, he showed why he's a great champion. You know, uh, staying staying there mentally tough and uh, finishing the match the way he did. And congrats to him and his team. No, no doubt he he deserved it. Uh, are you a bit
4: surprised about the physical condition of Rafael Nadal at the moment? After all these injury problems, the history in Australia, now another one. Uh,
2: and Rome the problems. I didn't see any problems. No, but are you surprised with the physical condition? No, I'm not. How he can play after five? I'm, no, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's not the first time that he, you know, is able to, few days after he's injured and barely walking to, to come out 100 percent physically fit. So, you know, he has done it many times in his career. So I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah, and then again, you know, Nadal just like before the Djokovic match talking about, you know, oh, my foot, you know, this might be my last ever Roland Garros moment, you know, um, this last match and I don't know if I can. And he goes on and it's not like his foot was hampering him because by the end he bageled him.
1: Well, and it was well like, so Come on, so, man. I mean, in in the his defense, I guess, because I feel like I have to defend him because I I really do believe one thing that Nadal has shown us in his entire career is he says it like it is. He does he's not like a, a liar or a gamesman type of person, right? He just he does say it like it is. You're right, he's super humble, so he does downplay his abilities and things like that or his injuries a lot. Um, but I am going based on all of the counts of all the professionals that are there on site that I hear, um, other tennis players, other analysts and journalists that see him walking around when he's not, um, when his doctor hasn't injected him with basically completely numbing his foot from all pain. Um, And then also he basically handed over his medical records at the end of the tournament to the journalist, because through the whole tournament he kept saying, I don't want to talk about it now, I'll tell you after. And then after, he told everyone what was up and showed them everything. And there's something, I I don't remember the details because I was listening in and out uh, because I didn't really care about the detail of his injury. Um, Because I didn't know that I was going to have to to prove it here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, or I would have paid more attention. But there's something to do with like his bone being ground down and like touching nerves.
0: Oh my gosh! Um,
1: and so it's. I mean, I mean, and for someone to say like, I would rather have a new foot than a than a grand slam.
0: Right. Let's um, listen to that. I, I do that, believe. Let's, let's him. listen to that quote. I think that's important. Here we go.
1: Uh, can you give us an idea of what
0: y- your mindset is? right now about your future and also can you give us an idea of just how difficult things were with your foot during this tournament and what you needed to do in order to be able to keep going out on court?
4: Well, my mindset, uh, nothing changed in my mind. No, I, as I said, uh, in the, in, in another, in the previous days, um, it's obvious that uh, uh, with the circumstances that I am uh, playing, uh, I can't and I don't want to keep going. Uh, so the, the the mindset is very clear. No, I'm going to uh, keep uh, working and uh, to try to find a, a solution and an improvement for, for what's happening uh, in the foot. Um, Have been uh, an amazing and very emotional two weeks, but it's it's obvious that uh, and I didn't want to talk about the foot during the tournament. As everybody knows, I said I'm gonna speak after the tournament, and now I can speak because uh, I want to be focused on on my tennis and uh, to respect on the on the rivals. I don't want to 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 be clear about what's happening now. But uh, I was able to play during these two weeks uh, with. Uh, with an extreme conditions now I, I have been playing with uh, with an injections uh, on the nerves uh, to sleep the foot and that's why I was able to to play during these two weeks no uh, because I have uh, no feelings on on my foot uh, because I uh, my daughter was able to 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 put uh, anesthetic uh, injections on the nerves uh, and that's uh, takes out the 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 feeling on on my foot but at the same time is uh, it's a bigger risk uh, in terms of uh, less feelings a little bit bigger risk of turning your ankle or uh, have uh, produce another stuff there so uh, of course Roland Garros is Roland Garros everybody knows how much means to me this tournament so i wanted to 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 keep trying and to give myself a chance here and that was the, the only way to, to give myself a chance here. No? So I did it. And uh, I can be happier and I can thank enough my my doctor for all the things that uh, he did during all my tennis career. Uh, helping me in every tough moment. Uh, but it's obvious that I can't keep competing uh, with, uh, with the foot slip. So uh, now it's the moment to to go back, uh, uh, we have been talking a lot about uh, what's going on and what the possibilities. So, uh, knowing now that uh, if we are able to slip uh, the, the two nerves that make, creates an impact on the on the foot uh, improves that much, then uh, we can try to 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 make uh, uh, a treatment uh, to try to to create this feeling uh, in a in a in a permanent condition no? so that's the thing that we are planning to do uh, the next week uh, I don't know yet when uh, and then uh, I don't know how to say in English uh, exactly the treatment but gonna be a, a, a radio frequency uh, injection on the nerve uh, and trying to to burn a little bit the nerve and uh, create the impact uh, that I have now uh, on the nerve for a long period of time uh, that's what we're gonna try uh, if that works uh, I'm gonna keep going uh, if if that not works then gonna be a another story and then gonna gonna I'm gonna answer to myself uh, I'm gonna ask to myself about uh, if I uh, I am ready to do uh, a major thing uh, without being sure that uh, the things are going the proper way, for example, a major surgery that don't guarantee me to 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 be able to to be um, competitive again, and they're gonna take takes a long time uh, to be back. So let's do a step by a step as I did all my tennis career. Next step uh, is that and. Uh, after that, let's see how it works. Hopefully, and I am always positive, it <laughs> works uh, more or less well and uh, can take it out a little bit, uh, the, the, the pain that I have. And if that happens, let's see if I am able to, to keep going for the grass season.
2: Rafa, Rob Moore from The Sun. Just to clarify, please, how many injections have you had at this French Open? Um, did they require TUEs? And secondly, by what you're saying, does that imply you're potentially out of Wimbledon because you've got these meetings with the doctors post the French Open?
4: I'm going to be in Wimbledon if my body is ready to be in Wimbledon, Uh, that's it. Uh, uh, Wimbledon is not a tournament that I want to miss. I think nobody wants to miss Wimbledon. I love Wimbledon, I had a lot of success there, I live amazing commotions there, so uh, full credit and respect to the tournament. And uh, a player like me, I, I am always uh, ready to play Wimbledon, so if you ask me if I will be in Wimbledon, I can't give you a clear answer. Uh, if I want to win Wimbledon, of course, so uh, let's see how the treatment works.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it really just comes down to the fact that the thing that I love about Nadal is that I just don't think he lies. Um, I've never. I don't think
0: I don't think he lies, and I and I love Nadal, and I'm such a Nadal supporter, especially while Fed is not playing. It's just that I know that he, in his mind, it's like a thousand times worse than it is, and I'm not saying it's not bad, and I'm not saying it's not. Horrible, but that's been his whole career. His whole career has been his knee, his leg, his back, his you know, and yet he goes on and wins, you know, and and because because he's that amazing, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He is that amazing. (laughs) It's it's not. not, not I don't think that it's a a stub
1: toe. I think it's that he just is that amazing. He can literally have one foot and beat these people.
0: But you don't see, uh, I mean, it's, maybe the technology is amazing. Maybe the, the medical treatment is amazing. But you don't see any limp at all. You don't see any the, sign there's, there's of There's actually
1: a lot of limp. If you watch when he's not playing a match, when he's just walking around the grounds.
0: No, no, I'm talking about on the court. For, th- no, no, no. for three hours. All
1: on the court because he's just had all these injections to completely yeah. turn off his pain receptors in his brain. <laughs> so, yes, you're right. He doesn't. Although in Rome, in Rome, he didn't have his doctor with him and yeah. he was limping around. Yeah. Um, and he did lose. Yeah. But that's why he tr- he traveled with his doctor to the French Open because he was like, I'm going to need a bunch of shots. If I'm going to have any chance to play. Um,
0: I want those shots, man. What, what's he taking?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, some good old-fashioned numbing Novocaine. No, if there's just like Novocaine in his foot. No.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, congratulations to Casper Rude for making it all the way to the final. And I just love how he says, you know, like, I was just another victim for Nadal. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Oh I thought that gosh. was a
0: fun and funny moment, but really excited for him. And it's not that he came out of nowhere, but he just isn't a household name yet. And, you know, compared to like a Zverev or a Tsitsipas, I mean, he's actually more winning at this tournament. And yet, you know, he's just He has making a great cra-
1: clay court record. He's a great, yeah. he's a clay court specialist, I guess, if you would. Um, for the past few years, I think he's, he's probably like second in wins on clay to Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making up stats, but I'm pretty sure I'm close.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on the women's side, just this whole clay thing—just so many seeds fell initially. I, I gotta say, it was a, a kind of a crazy tournament, but I really got into it, and it was really cool. And it was such—I felt I felt like it was a really happy ending for Nadal and for Iga Schwantek. Is that how you felt?
1: Yes. Yes. It, <laughs> it
0: was one of those it was one of those wonderful tennis moments where it was like all is right with the world kind of thing you know
1: for sure for sure
0: well I think that's a great place to leave it with a with a happy ending what do you think
1: well it is a happy ending but let me give you a happier ending okay the surprise that I went to Wimbledon is and I, I want to talk about Wimbledon more than I want to talk about the French Open. <laughs> <laughs> look uh I did after the French after the French open, I got on a plane and I flew to London and I did a a private uh Wimbledon tour, which is twenty five me and twenty-five other people. Nicholas did come with me to the Wimbledon tour. Uh um, cool. it was twenty-five pounds, which is extremely reasonable. And honestly, it was That's so cheap. Probably, you know, it was like one of the top five moments of my entire life. Uh I think in terms of tennis moments, it was the number one tennis moment of my entire life. I would put it ahead of uh, Serena and Venus waving and saying hi to me, uh, having Roger sign my hat, um, you know, Kim Clysters blessing my friend who sneezed next to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All of my random wonderful tennis uh, moments Walking onto the grounds of Wimbledon and seeing center court, I just like was overwhelmed with awe and just wanted to cry like a baby. Tears of happiness. It is the absolute holy land um, for a tennis fan. And I just felt I just felt it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm at Wimbledon. This this is like unbelievable.
0: The spirit of tennis was there.
1: It was insane. It was beautiful. It was magical. And we got this wonderful tour. They took us to go see um, all the courts. We got to go on center court. Uh, not on the court, but we got to go... On, on the center court, we were kind of high up because they are doing construction, so they couldn't let us um, lower. But all the other um, courts, we could get a little bit closer, and we got to take a ton of pictures. And then... Uh, We got to hear a bunch of really cool stuff about um, Wimbledon, its history, and how it's run, how it's a private tennis club, and how they go about, um, how you would go about getting membership to be a Wimbledon member. Um, And just all those like fun fact details, which I won't, you know, we're already at at time and anybody could just google it and find out so (laughs) but it's so
0: cool that you got to experience that i mean as a tennis fan and i can hear it in your voice i love that you got to experience that
1: it it was the greatest moment and so for those of you don't know I, i sent a picture to philip i'm pretty sure but the one of the highlights of going there you know, besides seeing like Roger's name on the wall, you know, oh, Serena wow. and so many
0: times uh,
1: Navratilova, who is the most winningest uh, tennis player ever at Wimbledon. Um, if you add up singles, doubles, mixed and all that stuff, um, it, it was just so cool to see everyone's names. And then also, for those who don't know, this year they just removed Miss, Miss and Misses or whatever from So all the ladies' names used to be like it used to say like Miss S Williams, Miss V Williams. Now it just says V Williams, S Williams. Um, So I, I got to be one of the first people to see it, the new the new board, right, Um, the the updated one. But the really super cool highlight was that they took us into the press rooms, and uh, the media offices. So we got to see where everyone behind the scenes, ESPN and all of that stuff, go to commentate or, you know, do their uh, journalistic type of things. All, all the stuff in the background, we got a full tour of all of that stuff. And then we did get to go into the main press room and we got to sit on the press seat with the microphone and like, Take pictures. They, they sat there and let every single person get as many pictures as they wanted. Um, and it was just so cool. And then they had a cafe. So, of course, I ate a bunch of food. They had some vegan <laughs> vegan options. So I was very, very happy. I did see on the menu that, you know, the big thing at Wimbledon is the strawberries and cream.
0: yes. Yes.
1: Which I always thought the day I do get to finally go see a Wimbledon match, like I'm not going to be able to do it because I don't eat dairy. But I saw the menu and they have it dairy free. So when I do finally win my Wimbledon lottery ticket <laughs> and <laughs> and get to go, I'm I can have the strawberries and cream. And oh, but then, they didn't
0: they didn't have it there for the tour.
1: They did not. No, uh, but they but you could see the menu like uh, yeah on the wall. Um yeah. they. And then we have a museum and then a gift shop. So we went through the museum. The museum had a ton of really cool, interesting stuff about the history of tennis. It did not have enough information on Roger. Like (laughs) I I was honestly like of the one thing I was disappointed was how can you not have more stuff about Roger in this museum Um, and for what he should mean to Wimbledon in terms of you know, the amount of times he's won and stuff like that. But, uh, and just like what he means to the game in general, but whatever, uh, <laughs> you were now, like,
0: where's the Roger shrine?
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, that was my only, um, qualm, I guess with the place. Oh, and just a, a little tidbit also is that when somebody wins Wimbledon, they quickly etch the winner's name on the trophy yeah, and bring it out for the trophy ceremony. The, you see the winner get their trophy presented to them they kiss it they take a million pictures they do a lap of glory or whatever and then uh and then they have to give it back and they get a replica and so and it's like
0: super small compared to the real yeah one, right? yeah
1: the replica's small but the <laughs> but the real one always stays at Wimbledon and so uh. i got to see that trophy um with everyone's names on it, men's and women's. So that's cool. Cause they have that in the museum. Wow. Um, and then of course I went to the gift shop and bought a few things, <laughs> very, very <laughs> necessary things. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, you know, this was like the best three hours of my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so worth it.
1: Yeah. It was super, super amazing. And I was like, uh, I was just laughing because I was like, I was more excited about a tour of Wimbledon than the actual French Open.
0: (laughs) And and I guess they probably had the women's uh, trophy as well, right? The plate? Uh Uh-huh, exactly. The Venus rosewater dish?
1: Yes, yeah. Wow. Exactly. That's so so cool. It was a tennis-inspired trip.
0: So what's great is that even though it wasn't happening the the tournament, you still felt the whole spirit of Wimbledon there by being on tour. And so I've got to go, even if I can't get to the tournament, right? Because it's, it has that awe and aura.
1: Exactly. And it's so hard to get tickets. Like they explained the ticketing processes to us as well as how to be, become a member.
3: They yeah. explained
1: like what you have to do to be able to get tickets. Um, And it is, it's just, it's like a lottery, right? Um, Right. You either win the lottery and if you win the lottery, you don't know what day, what session, anything, right? You just take what you can get and you get what you get. And uh, the tickets in the center court or in all the stadiums, really, they're all the same price. So like if you have like second row or, you know, 50th row, if you actually win the lottery and you're able to purchase it, it's the same price for either seat. Wow. Um, And it's all based on luck of like where, which seat you get.
0: Wow. Which is why you always see that famous queue Mm -hmm. that everybody stands in overnight because you just hope to get a a winning golden Willy Wonka ticket.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so actually, the the lottery is something you enter online and you can, and then you could purchase. And the queue is that like every day they release a certain amount of tickets. And like people in the queue can then get in. And then they also do another program where if somebody like, let's say you and I go and we leave early, we leave like three out. there's still three hours of a match left and we, yeah. but we want to go home or cause we have dinner planned somewhere else <laughs> or we don't care about who's playing. Uh, we can, we return our ticket as we leave and it goes into the queue and then people outside can play, pay like a prorated portion of the ticket to get in and then all those proceeds go to a charity foundation.
0: Oh, that's so cool. That's kind of like what you and I did at uh, Indian Wells. Like we were leaving and then you were so nice to just hand your tickets over to someone who was just trying to get in and they could get in. So that's so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really cool, but. uh, I love
0: that about you, Valerie. You're so kind hearted.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so.
0: (laughs) Wow, I'm so excited to see. I I guess you didn't post those pictures yet because I haven't seen any Wimbledon except the one that you sent me where you're standing in front of the uh, Central Hall, Center Mm -hmm. Court Tunnel. Um, So I can't wait to see all the rest of your pictures. And if you don't mind, I'll share them on lovesetmatch.net and so people can see some of this and see a little bit of what happened in your life. And I just think any tennis fan is going to really appreciate that.
1: Yes, 100%. Eventually, maybe this weekend, I'll share them.
0: (laughs) Sounds good.
1: Um, good. And, of course, you can post anything you want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So nice. Well, this has been really fun, Valerie. I'm so glad we found the time to do a Roland Garros recap and to hear your amazing journey in Europe. And I'm so glad you're back and safe. And Did you have any kind of weird, scary moments at all? Or was it all just good?
1: No, it was all... uh butterflies and rainbows
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great i'm so glad to hear that especially in the world today crazy stuff going on so that's awesome that you had such a great trip and tennis uh just made your life better right
1: yes that's what we live for tennis that's what this is the podcast to feed your passion because we are passionate about tennis on this podcast just
0: crazy (laughs) crazy passionate is what we are Yes. So good. And you know who else is super passionate? Tennis Pal. Thank you so much, Tennis Pal, for sponsoring this podcast and allowing us to tell our story and share what we're talking about, our love for passion and passion, our love and passion for tennis. And uh, please download their app at tennispal.com and find people to play with. It's just a great app. And you know, I was looking at Tennis Pal coaches on Instagram. And do you know that their Instagram has like so many followers? I'm going to look it up right now and tell you. Tennis well, Pal C- Coach is a separate Instagram from Tennis Pal. And if you go to Tennis Pal Coach on Instagram, they have 45,000 followers.
3: Oh,
1: how cool. Yeah. and they I don't have think like I'm following these... them. I'm going to go make it 45,000 plus
0: one. Yeah. Well, it's already 45,000.6K. But... Uh, <laughs> They So they repost a lot of like coaching videos and inspirational stuff from other tennis players all over the world. So that's definitely something that you guys should follow. I think it's really awesome.
1: Nice. <laughs> Thanks for letting and, us know about that. Thanks for letting me know and everyone else, yeah. but me too. Yeah. And
0: our, our good friend, Paulo Hexel is on there. And if you remember, he was in episode one, yes. the coach from Tennis Pal, and he's on the court in Brentwood. So you can check him out on their instagram as well tennis pal coach and yeah go back and listen to that great interview with paulo and uh his whole story of coming from brazil and playing in college here and uh, his love for tennis i think it's uh, it's actually one of our most listened to episodes so yeah if you haven't listened to it you're missing out check it out yes And one more promotional item that I just want to say, uh, this is June 7th, and on June 30th, we're giving away that Head Radical Tennis Racket, brand new, given to us by Head. And all you got to do is to be one of the people to sign up for Conga Sports. So go to congasports.com and sign up for their program, which is $50 membership to be a part of their league. And when you sign up, for $50, you get a $50 head gift code to use the money to buy anything you want off of the head website, like shoes, tennis balls, clothing, rackets, and you get a chance to win uh, this head radical tennis racket. And Valerie, can I just tell you that only three people have entered so far through my site? So... What's amazing Those are is, some amazing
1: odds right there.
0: That's right. One of three is going to win <laughs> a $200 racket. So, I mean, you've got a great chance of winning if you sign up for a Conga Sports membership. And it's really a great organization to support because they are also passionate about tennis, starting leagues all over the country, and really trying to get people to get involved in tennis. I'm partnering with them to do a family day here in Monterey Park where we're just going to do free tennis, Uh, During the day and have like a barbecue and set up little like nets with foam balls on the grass to get people to come and play tennis and just experience tennis. And that's what they're all about is they're creating uh, these kinds of experiences and and their tagline is just trying to make tennis fun again. So I love that because tennis is fun. It's one of the funnest things you can do with your time, I think.
1: Nice. There's There's a league starting this fall in Woodland Hills. That's I'm, right. I'm gonna check it out. Um, I I did always intend on joining because I want to be a part of leagues to yeah. force myself to get out there. Yeah. Um, because I'm tied with this uh, podcast, I hope that they will not put me into that competition. <laughs> <laughs> if for some reason I get in it and I win, we'll just have to raffle it off on the show.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and. Uh, Today, actually, I had a meeting with the tennis app, Straight Sets, and um, they're going to be a part of this whole conga network. So what's kind of cool is that I'm hoping to start a league. We'll be able to do a ladder and do like different things where we're able to bring people into kind of a club or community league environment. So, yeah, that's coming hopefully in the fall so you can join the league that we start here in San Gabriel Valley, hopefully.
1: Yay! That's (laughs) what I want to do. Thanks so much, Philip. You always have the best info.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think it takes away at all from Tennis Pal because Tennis Pal actually lets you find people in your area by searching on zip code. Whereas this other thing, Conga Sports, is really just like you have to join a league and play within the membership of the league. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. So you go to Tennis Pal, you get your practice matches in, You get your variety because you can play with all kinds of different people. And then you go to the tournament with Conga and you kick everybody's butt. (laughs) Exactly. exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Valerie, so much. And I'm so glad you're back. And thanks for sharing your awesome stories about Roland Garros and Wimbledon and your perspective on Nadal. Okay, I believe you. He's injured.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Poor Philip. I'm going to be, like, looking up articles and uh, medical, <laughs> medical records I just felt sending so, them over to him.
0: <laughs> I just felt so burnt when he was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can play and, you know, my foot and everything. And then he goes and beats like literally one of the other greatest tennis players of all time. And, you know, my goodness, come on. So I just was like, wow, how does he do that? Well, uh, you know what? I, I
1: have actually said on this podcast years ago that I think that nadal can beat anyone with one foot and one arm tied behind his back <laughs> on clay and i'm finally happy that partially that has come true
0: <laughs> that's so great well thanks for listening everyone we'd love to hear from you send us an email to pk at tennis pal. Dot com and send us questions, comments about the podcast. We'd love to hear your ideas and your information. Go to lovesetmatch.net to enter that Congo Sports um, raffle, uh, chance drawing for that racket, and you'll see a blog about that and how to enter and all the directions and stuff. And, Valerie, again, love you so much. Thank you, and let's go play tennis sometime.
1: Heck yeah. You're the best <laughs> when you get back from uh, wherever you're going.
0: Yes, that sounds great. And to all you listeners, may all your serves be Be aces. aces.